and welcome to the latest edition of the Pensions Expert podcast. Every fortnight, we are joined by experts to discuss the pressing issues in the pensions world that made the headlines in the past week. I'm Maria Espadinha, Deputy Editor of Pensions Experts, and joining me are Romy Savova, Chief Executive of Pensions Consolidator Pension B, and David Brooks, Technical Director at consultancy firm Broadstone. This week, we will be talking about a landmark ruling finding that veganism is a philosophical belief and its potential impact in the pensions industry, how HM Revenue and Customs is making scheme administrator lives harder by delaying the GMP reconciliation final deadline, a solution for doctors' tax issues quickly dismissed by experts, and fresh calls for a new pensions commission. I will start with you, Romy. What is this case that veganism is a philosophical belief and how does this impact the pensions industry and why are we talking about this so suddenly? Well, the case is really interesting because it has all the makings of a great drama. So first, you have a really engaged saver who has taken on what appears to be his employer and potentially also pension provider in terms of the way that they've structured the default fund that he's invested in. Um, and I think it's really interesting because he, you know, he's basically appalled by the investments that he's found uh, and how they don't align with the values that the employees of the company have with regards to their pension. And he's taken this all the way to court and effectively given a voice to people who have been auto-enrolled. And and the finding, of course, has another great marking of a perfect drama, which is that it's related to veganism, which is a hugely rising trend. I mean, I, w I was reading that I think about a quarter of all new products, all new food products that are launched are actually vegan products. And so it, it has kind of two really exciting things, which is a voice and you know, something that is, I think, considered quite new. And pensions tends to be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a lagging, sort of slow moving area. And to see someone using such a new kind of philosophy to challenge the established order. I mean, it is really exciting. And it makes you wonder, you know, what's next? Um, and what will members speak up about? It could pose a huge challenge to all sorts of pension providers and trustees. David, we know pensions is not known for being an up-to-speed industry, so in 20 years' time, we'll still be talking about how pension schemes can be adapted for vegans and this kind of beliefs, or is this something the industry needs to react more quickly to? Well, I'd agree we need to react more quickly because, you know, people, it's very difficult with ethics, because ethics, you know, you're going to ask one board of trustees what their ethical concerns are, and that'd be different to different people. Now, it's interesting, the government, when they were talking about how trustees should look at these ESG issues, they, they originally said that the scheme should go out and ask their members what they think. And then they changed that and they said, no, no, you don't have to do that. But I think that's going to have to come back, albeit for some trustees that have members in a particular industry or with particular interests that they need to be catered for. Yes. And it was like Romy was saying, it's, it was just a default fund that was investing in GlaxoSmithKline and other vivisection you know, industries and things like that. And it was clearly an issue. And it was amazing that the charity hadn't spotted it before as well, because they're into animal welfare and those sorts of things. So you can see situations where particular employers will say, trustees, you need to get on with this, and they'll just have to do it, and they'll have to find a way of investing the money in a way that fits the ethics of their members as best they can. But the market, as you're sort of alluding to, is that isn't really there. There aren't the funds out there at the moment for people to have to pick and choose what they want. So it's a real chicken and egg. But 
you know, it's been happening in and around the green investment and climate change investing, and the gov and the government are talking about it a lot. It's it's just ramping up, and this case just ramps it up mm-hmm. even more. And it brings, as Remy was saying, it brings it to members' attention. If members are reading this and going, "Oh, I've got the right, have I got the right to say this?" and yes, they have, then trustees should expect the members to write to them and say, "Well, I believe X, Y, Z, and I think you should be looking out for me." And how can trustees? Because if you have a large membership, you're going to have a large different kind of set of opinions how can you cater to all those opinions because you can have someone that is vegan you can have someone else that thinks that um, he's a um, carnivore and you want to you know you yeah. can have like all, the, all those like different opinions between your membership how can you cater to all of them well i don't think you can cater to all of them but i think you need to start by finding out what are the majority views because i think the worst kind of misalignment is where you have a majority that thinks one thing um and a pension fund that delivers the complete opposite and so in this particular case i suspect a large majority of the employee base would have been very strongly against animal testing and very pro animal rights um and you have a pension scheme that simply hasn't taken that into account at all and so you you know you need to figure out what is the majority view and is the majority view represented in the default and then where you have significant minority positions you need to make sure that those are given a voice as well potentially through additional funds however the default has to reflect what the members of who are enrolled automatically enrolled without having done anything into the default actually think and do you Dave, do you think that we're going to see any kind of going forward um, more rules we know that that one about consulting members was taken out mm. can we see that being reintroduced maybe i'd be surprised because these things are never one size fits all um and the fact this is such an important case is because it is unusual that a member is so engaged and the employer and the member's interests are so aligned as, as, as Romy was saying so it's unusual so i think what will happen is that there'll be a, um, suggestions for trustees and employers to work together and say well you know is the scheme reflecting the views of the employers so we had the situation a few years ago when the, the church of england found out they're investing in wonga you know things like that they were just in part of a you know a pooled arrangement but they were investing in wonga which was a bad look for the Church of England, you'll, I think you will have those situations where the trustees employer need to work together and say, well, the employer knows the members or should know the members. And if you need to survey them, survey them and then work together and work out, is this pension scheme actually serving their best interest? But the trustees will always fight back and say, well, our best interest is to make them as much money as I can. So they've got a decent retirement, you know, so there'll, there'll be a pushback there. So those all things have to be aligned and that's quite difficult. And it's difficult to legislate to make people do that, I think. I think it's really quite shocking that the requirement to survey members has been dropped, right? Because in effect, it's one of the few catalysts for change that you have around the investment composition within a default. I think without the requirement to survey members, it's very easy to let ESG and the concerns of members become a tick box exercise. Because I think that if you do run a survey, and you find that you're out of alignment with what members think, your only choice is to fix that. Um, so I, you know, I, I do hope that it does come back uh, in some shape or form. It should be a requirement. I do agree, but there is a, there's always a but, isn't there? But the, the, but, the but being, um, so many schemes out there will do this and they'll get 5% of their members will come back, even less. But the ones that come back will be the ones that have a particular 
interest or a particular issue, and then their views may outweigh everybody else who is fairly agnostic about, I don't really, you know, I'm not that fussed about veganism, I'm not that fussed about green things or whatever it is, They'd, but it will be the, the vocal minority that will end up sort of holding sway over a sort of a silent majority. So there's, there is, it's difficult because members don't tend to engage their pension schemes very much. Even when you write to them and ask them to do things, you'll just get a deafening wall of silence. Well, I think, you know, for sure you won't get a 100% response rate. Yeah. I think that would be rare. But mm. if you look at how we conduct our business outside of pensions and we look at voting, mm. right, just because someone didn't show up to vote, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't feel strongly about certain things. And we, you know, we do follow the views, I hope, of the majority when it comes to voting. And so if you want your voice to be heard, you need to vote. Otherwise, you need to go along with what the with, with what other voters are saying. So I don't think it's an excuse not to do it. I agree there are some limitations, but I still think it should be done. Moving on to the wonderful world of guaranteed minimum pensions. <laughs> Dave is very happy about this. <laughs> I'm leading back. <laughs> uh, Dave, why are we still talking about guaranteed minimum pensions reconciliation? I thought we were going to put this to bed um, past December. Yes. Yeah, but apparently not. No. <laughs> I mean, it is a bit, it's getting a bit ridiculous <laughs> now. I mean, we've started this whole exercise of sorting out the GMP position, so we'd all know where we stand. Um, I think it was meant to have been finished early last year, and that was a sort of a long deadline anyway, and it slipped and slipped and slipped. I think the key problem is is the resourcing at HMRC has not been strong enough and they've underestimated um, or just not taken seriously what a big data challenge it is to input and correct these these GMPs across thousands, millions of people and get it right and then give us all our final, final data cuts. So they're now saying we're not going to get these final data cuts until March, which means that pension schemes that are waiting to do their equalizations are going to have to wait until after that they've received that because it's a sort of like... The, the really most boring game of musical chairs. So no one knows what you've got until the music stops <laughs> and the music isn't stopping and it's just keep going and going and going. And it's going to slip from March. I think it's one of those things. Mm. I'm, I get accused of being quite naive. I'm all, I always think, hope for the best. I'm quite a bit of an optimist. But all the other guys I work with, they always say, oh, no, Dave, you're wrong. It's going to slip. So everyone thinks it's going to slip from March into into the summer before we get this sorted. But the main reason that on the bulletins they, they, they talk about is the partial payments and mm. not being able to attribute these partial payments. Isn't it something that sh they should be aware of when they allowed schemes to make partial payments? Yes. I really can't say any more. I mean, yes. I mean, it's just, you know, I, we are in violent agreement. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy position. And it comes back to the resourcing. They just weren't able to do it in the way that they thought they would or what, they didn't have the resourcing to do it properly. And so they've now had to just create this extra time to try to do it because they just don't have the people mm -hmm. who are physically punching the data in to tell the people what they've got. Can we hope not to be talking about this in a year from now in another podcast? Or do you think that's going to be this, the, the reality? Well, I did say I was an optimist. It depends. <laughs> Are you an optimist or a pessimist? I'm an optimist. Well, well, okay, let's hope for it. Yeah, okay. look, it'll all be done. It will all be done by the summer and we'll all be happy and we'll never talk about it again. Okay, <laughs> great. And another thing that needs needs a very quick, quick fix is the issue with tax and higher payers and doctors. And we heard about a new idea um, being flagged up this, this past week, which is about increasing something which is called the threshold income for the tapered and annual allowance, which currently is set at 110 
um thousand pounds and they're thinking about increasing it to 150,000. But several pensions experts in the same day came back and say, this is a terrible idea. This is just sticking plaster, which is something they love to say when we're talking about doctors mm -hmm. and tax. Just fix. It's a perfect soundbite. Uh, <laughs> so um, what are your views on this, if, if you have any? I just think it would be a hugely missed opportunity. Uh, I think it's quite rare that we find ourselves with a government who has the opportunity to really do something positive in pensions. They have a so-called stonking majority, and I would hope that that extends to fixing what seems to be a deeply rooted problem in the NHS. My big fear around a sticking plaster sort of solution is that Many doctors won't bother to read page 175 of the HMRC description and will simply continue cutting back on hours. And I think the the repercussions of not providing a very clear and conclusive fix are literally human lives. And so why would anyone take on that risk when they have the clear ability as a government to completely fix the problem by eliminating it? But that brings us to another problem, which which is um, how are they going to fix the hole that they were they were, they were covering with that pension tax income? Well, I don't know how they'll replace the income. Is it one point six billion? I think the story said it would cost them. I don't know where that number number came from. It seems far too large. I think one thing with, with the way the government do these sorts of things is we need to take take a step back. This is just a this is just a rumor, and they, they like to do this. They like to sort of float something in the press and hear us all go. No, this is rubbish. Don't don't do this. This is not going to help. And they'll help sort of a pre-consultation. Let's just put that out there. Oh dear, that didn't go down very well. That's not going to answer. The BMA are still really annoyed. Advisors are annoyed. There's no one saying, yes, this is the answer. This is going to save everything. It's only going to be a few doctors that will be affected. So fantastic. So I think this 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 is going to go away. This this tweak to the taper isn't going to happen. But the government really would rather it did because that's how they like to do things. They don't like to make wholesale changes. They like just to do a little tweak and that's it. We can all carry on with our lives. So it does go back that on the 11th of March, what Sajid Javid might say might be a bit more interesting about tax. But then what is more likely to happen then is we're all going to be affected by it. If they can't just fix it for a few high earners, then we're all going to get it. So does that mean a lower annual allowance for everybody? Does that mean, you know, tweaking the, 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 the way they calculate it or... Well, they just go, no, forget that. We'll just go and look at the NHS scheme because that's where the problem is. And we'll end up trying to have another, I almost said sticking plaster, but try and fudge it a different way by just tweaking the way the pension scheme deals with the tax charges. Because that's one of the issues is the complications with the NHS pension scheme itself is causing a lot of these problems. So, But that wouldn't that be like, we, we already had a discrimination case for changes that they made to, to pension schemes, uh, then cloud case. Wouldn't that be just opening the floodgates to all the other schemes and all the other high owners just coming to court and saying, I'm not in the pension scheme, but I'm, I'm having the same issues. Why don't I get the same rules? Yeah, no, that true. That would be an absolute disaster. I mean, I don't think they have any choice but to scrap it. I think the replacement question is an interesting one. Um, and if they were to answer the replacement question through another tax simplifying measure, such as uniform relief at source, I think that that might actually be quite welcome within the pension sector. Something that makes it easy for consumers to understand exactly how tax top-ups work, because right now most people just think they're getting taxed. That brings us to the last topic, which is a new pensions commission. Could this be one of the topics that they would discuss? Or because it's treasury, they will not touch it with, with a 10-foot pole? Well, I was quite surprised, actually. I was quite surprised how warm... Guy was about it 
a guy up in the Pensions Minister, I was a bit surprised that he was that keen on it. He seems to think it's quite a good idea. As we know, I'm a naive optimist, so I think it's quite a good idea as well. But I know people will just, I could imagine people shouting at this podcast now saying, Dave, you're such an idiot. But I, I can do, shout I do. from within the podcast if you oh, like. Oh, brilliant. Oh, shout it. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just say why I think it's a good idea and then you could just shout at me and then I'll probably agree with you anyway at the end. No, well, I think it's a good idea because I want a situation where policy is governed by evidence and we all know what we're talking about and, let, and there are so many problems with the pension system. You know, we can just read a few off. Some we've already talked about, allowances and tax relief and all these sorts of things is a, a complete mess. People aren't saving enough. State pension... Is, what is that doing? You know, is that the right level or the right age for the right demographics? You know, what there seems to be so many problems. And if you can create a group to sit back, look at the whole thing, and then make recommendations to government, I think that would be a good thing. But I know I also know full well that pensions is politics, and politicians will only ask for commissions when they realise they want to have bad news delivered by somebody else, so they can say, "Oh, it's not us doing it; it's this commission saying we have to do whatever it suggests." So. But I think I want more evidence and more open conversations. I just, I think we've got too much going on already to introduce another body. So, I mean, if you think about all of the distinct players within government who have a say around pensions, I think you could probably come up with 10 institutions. The most prominent ones are obviously, you know, DWP, the FCA, the pensions regulator, um, HMRC, and, and that list could go on. So... I struggle to understand exactly what one additional body could bring. My other concern is that where does this leave the Work and Pension Select Committee, who I think have been examining government policy and making recommendations? And I think the onus is on DWP to take those recommendations into account. So, you know, why can't their role perhaps be a little bit refined if, if we're trying to achieve something different? But my main issue is that I think, you know, I think Guy Opperman is already doing a good job, right? He came into the industry as an outsider and he's managed to introduce a lot of really new and positive things. You know, simpler annual statements are coming. The pensions dashboard is coming. Open pensions is coming. And I think that those are things that are really going to move us forward. I worry that another body will slow it all down. But wasn't the suggestion there'll be a commission and a sort of a scrutiny body, a bit like the OBR type region? That was the suggestion. Fantastic. I knew you liked that. <laughs> Romy likes that. No, she doesn't. <laughs> and, no, but could the Working Pension Select Committee not be that, that body to take the evidence from the Commission and create reports and report back to government? And that, 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 would, that would work, wouldn't it? I mean, I know the PPI do that kind of job. I know they're probably in your list of 10 you were thinking of. You know, I would happily PPI. have them on the list of 10. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And I think <laughs> the PPI should, perhaps, perhaps they're the answer. Perhaps we, they need to be commissioned more to do more research, do more studies, and then they can take the evidence to the Worker Pension Select Committee. And I wouldn't necessarily be against that, but the Worker Pension Select Committee is a political beast in itself. Who is going to be in charge? Do we know who's going to be chairing it yet? Next no. Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Next Wednesday. Okay. It's, it's elections. Okay. Okay. We'll have to wait for then. Yep. And so we finish off with a um, section we like to call Always a Pensions Angle, which Dave created, which is a story about something else you think has no connection to pensions, but after all, it does. So I'll leave it to you, Dave, to finish off that one. Well, as everyone who knows me knows, I'm a massive fan of Love Island. Oh, God. No, I'm a massive fan of... There was no comment yet. (laughs) (laughs) I could just... uh, The embarrassment. Anyway, there's a lovely young lady in there called Shauna Phillips, who it turns out is a Democratic Services Officer for Lambeth Council, and as part of her job, she prepares pensions papers for their committee meetings. 
which I think is a fantastic thing. So she's an honorary member of the pensions community now. We take her as, as one of our own. But I was looking into the job description of what a pension, a democratic services officer does. And some of the key skills you need are patience, attention to detail, and working well under pressure. And these sound like, to me, things that I do in my day job as a trustee secretary, looking after pension schemes and dealing with trustees, and I love them all, but you do need patience, attention to detail, and working well under pressure. So I welcome Shauna as a member of the trustee secretarial community. Okay. <laughs> an think... unexpected pensions angle. There you go. Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Romy and David. Pleasure. Join us again in two weeks for the next Pensions Expert podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.